Hey man, I just want to thank you for being here. My name is Arrow, and this is PodFest, episode number 21. Three back-to-back conversations with real people we know, either through entertainment, politics, science, medical, or by just helping us out as we get our lives back in order. They're played back-to-back. I've learned that podcast listening isn't always about a four-minute song. The lyrics we share in this everyday world make being a part of this new age of content incredibly special, and these guests will always bring their game. PodFest 21 features my 2019 conversation with Joe Zolper from Garage Squad on the Motor Trend Network. Then we'll jump into a moment with Joey Fatone of InSync, as well as the host of the game show Common Knowledge. Then we'll wrap things up with John Hanna from NBC's Transplant. This is PodFest. How you doing, Arrow? Fantastic, man. Here you go again with Garage Squad. I mean, you guys are the people that believe in the resurrection of those things that we love so much. Cars and trucks. Amen to that. Absolutely. For you to get in it at such an early age, I mean, you're like you're like Eric Clapton when he picked up the guitar. You knew exactly where you were going to go and what you needed to do in order to grow into a success story. Uh, yes, when I was a kid, I was a kid running around with screwdrivers and pliers and wrenches at the age of you know four, five, six years old, and I was tearing apart my Christmas toys to want to figure out how they work. True story. We're talking about Garage Squad. Motor Trend Man continues to be leaders when it comes to car lovers and those that love to rebuild it. I love the connection that you guys continue to have with viewers. Yes, we try to build vehicles and to do stuff on the show that interests everybody. And, you know, of course, some of these stories are, you know, pretty heartfelt, too. And they, they touch me. And sometimes on set, it gets very hard sometimes. But very emotional sometimes. I'm glad you brought that up because when you bring a car back to life, I mean, that involves a lot of hum- human emotion. I mean, I'm still attached to my, my, my 1977 AMX. I'm never going to get it again, but I still love that car. I think, you know, cars are, you know, attached to a lot of people in many ways. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think when you turn 16, you get your license and you get that first car. I think that's where, you know, the sense of freedom starts. And I think that I think that's where memories start right there that are attached to your vehicle. And I think that's why, you know, in America, we are so close to our cars. You did. You worked on a 1949 Mercury. Now, 1949, that was real metal on those cars. And those engines were monsters. How do you bring something like this back into the world? You know, first thing we got to do is assess the vehicle. You know, what does it need? What's the important things that need to be addressed? Because we don't have a lot of time on the show to get this stuff done. Uh, but we want to make sure it's safe and runs good and they got a nice finished product. So the first thing we got to worry about is parts. I mean, finding all the parts. And once we get all the parts, then we know we have something that we can finish to make this guy happy again. Does that scare you a little bit about the future? Because when you talk about parts and stuff, I mean, when we went through the recession of 2008, a lot of a lot of car companies went out of business. In 10 or 15 years, you might be going back to rebuild one of those cars. Will there be parts for you? You know, I think there's going to be. I think, you know, the you know American muscle is so strong in the United States. I don't see it going anywhere quite yet. I think uh, we have we have plenty of time. I think you know what's going to de- determine is the next generation. I think that's the generation that's going to determine what's going to happen to the American values on their vehicles. The show we're talking about is Garage Squad. Has there ever been a transformation that almost beat you? Yes. Uh, season 1, 1979 Trans Am, oh. the black one. I literally thought I didn't think we were going to get it done but we did. We got it done. And that one was the one that kept me up at night. <laughs> Almost every night. 
I, I know you work really close with people with, with car collectors and stuff like that, but, but do you ever create an emotional attachment to this, to the car to where you're going, no, I don't want to give this car back yet. I, I, I know we're supposed to be making money and it's a TV show, but I love this car. All the time. Oh, no. I mean, I could not tell you how many times I've asked people and said, can I just borrow it for the weekend? I just, you know, <laughs> and I, I just, let me have it for a week, you know, and test drive it for you, you know. I mean, some of these cars, yes, we work so hard on them and we put so much heart and soul into them ourselves that, yeah, I mean, it's hard to walk away from them, but we know they're enjoying them and we know they're in good hands. I know a lot of people love the Mustangs. They love the Corvettes and things like this. But for a lot of us, we grew up training in little Datsuns. Is there a Datsun you would ever put back together? Uh, yeah, 240Z. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, <laughs> we did one season one, and I loved that car. That car was awesome. You know, I mean, I am into American muscle, big cubic inch, and big horsepower. But I would say that car was just so fun to drive. Are you going to put a book together because I mean, they, or even do a podcast because you have so many stories of, of going through your head at all times and the experiences. How do you reach beyond the television show to keep connected to those fans? You know, a lot of it's on social media. Uh, is when I do, I do little videos. I got in the garage on um, YouTube. I do little skits here and there. But as far as the book, you know, my mother has told me multiple times, Joey, you need to write a book. So I tell my daughter, because she's a bookworm, and I tell her, I'm like, listen, you're going to write a book about Dad and all the crazy (laughs) things that's happened to him and that he's done, and you're going to be a millionaire. I tell her this. I just learned this a week ago, and she knows it. Because he's 12, and she'll tell you some of the crazy things that's happened in my life. (laughs) You know, here in the Carolinas, you have to drive pretty far to go see a big old junkyard. But, man, what is it about junkyards that really ignite a boy or a man's imagination? Exactly what you just said, imagination. I mean, you walk in, and, you know, a lot of people see rusty junk. And people with good imagination, they see potential. Yes. They, They, you know, I can look at a vehicle that is, you know, quarter panels are rotted out on it. It's missing wheels and windows and doors. But yet I can visualize that thing driving down the road. And if you have that imagination, especially for the younger generation, you can't believe the things that you can do with that imagination. you just got to get down and dirty and try to make it happen. Well, vicariously, we are teaching tomorrow's generation how to love their cars and how to take care of them. And it's vicariously through you, sir. Well, thank you very much, and I am all about teaching the next generation everything we can uh, about the lost art of some of these old muscle cars and street rods. Yep. Garage Squad. Please come back to this show anytime in the future. Joe, the door's always going to be open for you, dude. I would love to. Thank you very much. And you know, if you want, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Joe Zoper, and, uh, and also on YouTube. So. We'll see you next time. You bet. Be brilliant today. Joey, what are you doing, man? Common knowledge is that you are doing a damn good job on television, dude. Thank you so much. You know, I'm, I'm trying. So far, people have told me I haven't sucked yet, so that's a good thing. <laughs> and you know what? You, you of all people, would have the best answer if they did say that. You'd come out with, the, because you, you, you just seem to be that type of guy that has a reaction that's always going to be somewhat positive. Of course. You know what? I just always have a positive outlook on life. I mean, again, life's too short. Um, I know a lot, many people have, have, you know, suffered by different anxieties and different things like that, which, you know, I can never understand. And I hope people really kind of find the light on certain things. And I've been fortunate and lucky enough that, you know, as far as the way I was raised and how my parents, uh, you know, uh, approach things, um, gave me a good insight on, on what I would do or how it become as a, you know, 
as a parent, as a father, as 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 a spouse at times, <laughs> or 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 just in general for that matter. So you know, I've been very very blessed and very fortunate. Definitely, I I, I don't I don't miss a beat on that one. I know where I came from, and I know that it is a blessing, and it is it's a lot of hard work to, to to get to where I am as well, though. So it's it's a little combination of both. On common knowledge, do you get to prepare those questions and and to really kind of get involved in that part of it, or do you have to be so far away from that because of the rules of television when when it comes to gaming? But yeah, I would say, I mean, I've been so far away from it and, and that would be a pain in the ass for me, part of my French, because I would have to go and do the research on all the questions. That's what somebody does. Someone actually does the research on all these questions to make sure that they're 100% accurate. It's not fake. It's proved out. Um, but for me, it's more or less of definitely focusing on the gameplay, the contestants uh, and the questions, because basically I'm reading, I'm doing six shows a day we shoot. I'm reading, you know. I have no idea, 30 to 40 questions, you know, an episode, I guess, or whatever, which is ridiculous. And you, you know, you just kind of get that cadence to it. You know, for me, I, I, I wish I knew that much common knowledge. But a lot of times when I read that question and the minute that question is gone, it is gone out of my head. It has moved on to the next thing. So, uh, Joey, you know, just for the common knowledge for the fans, we got to know, what's your favorite dinosaur? My favorite dinosaur? Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, your favorite dinosaur. <laughs> I like a T-Rex. There you go. I'm very fond of a T-Rex. <laughs> Except he's got little arms. You can't do much with his little arms. That's, that's the problem. You can't pick anything up. You know, one of the things that's fascinating about watching you on Common Knowledge is the fact that you handle real people really well. And and is is that just something that just comes came up with your family in the you know because they they were always so down to earth. Um. Yeah. It was always just kind of be true to yourself in a sense. You know, don't, don't pretend like you're somebody who you're not. You know, I mean, and, and, and if I have done that, you will, you know, it meaning it's deliberate, it's, it's on purpose. Um, but I think it's just because of, of, of practice and repetition in the sense of kind of being able to adapt to talking to someone, whether they're a funny person, a quiet person, a shy person, a pissed off person, or just not having a good day person. And you try to find the common ground or you try to find the conversation that's going to, going to make that a positive. And I think, it was really funny. It was a good test of a good test and a good practice of what I had to deal with sometimes with people, but it was more extreme where I actually was hosting. A, uh, it was a Price is Right live show in Vegas. It was during the day. It was around three or four o'clock. This is when I was like doing little hosting gigs here and there. Again, not many people hear about these things, but I was hosting this live version. People actually thought they were on the freaking show. No, they were not. There was no cameras. Bob Barker wasn't there. Drew Carey wasn't there. It was me. But regardless, the funny part about it is, is everybody would go to check in around two o'clock or or one thirty, really early before they even open up the doors, because obviously they had to go through a screening. People had to honestly get like as far as picked to come up on stage because literally the audience was the people that were coming up to get down there to do the whole showcase, every everything. So when they pick those people, they they have to go through a process and they have like about two hours in the middle of it. Mind you, this is in a casino. So you bring these people out, they go out, back out into the casino, a, a few of them, either they win big, they lose, they drink heavily. Now these people are completely different from what they were before when they came into the show. So now they're hammered and their demeanor is completely different. <laughs> and you have to learn, for me, I had to learn how not to be a jerk, but also stick up for myself when someone gives me the middle finger, someone says go F myself, 
and all these other things. You got to figure out how to make it funny and quick witted to make this change around for you. And it was a great learning tool for me. 100%. Joey, uh, this is John Casson, and I, I want to start with an apology that's 22 years overdue. Because I was oh God, a jerk you to do? you. I was a jerk to you, and let me tell you what the circumstances, and I hope you don't remember it, because then they're really hot. <laughs> it was 1998 or 99, and you and I think a couple of your colleagues were on tour, and you went to Wild 95.5 in West Palm Beach, Florida. Do you remember that at all? I, re- I remember the station, yes, and I remember, of course, West Palm Beach, because I think my, my family lives down over in Jupiter, actually. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Well, I worked in the newsroom and I didn't know who I knew who you, I knew your name, of course, and you were just kind of get kicking off your start. My daughters loved you. And that station always had these young interns and you looked like a young kid. You still kind of do. And I was in the newsroom and feeling full of myself. And, you know, I went to get some coffee and you were over there and I didn't know who you were. And I didn't know, obviously, that, you're, that you guys were, uh, were on tour with them. You were going into the studio to talk. And I'm used to seeing interns early in the morning. And I just being nice, I went to introduce myself. I said, hi, I'm John Casson. And you turned to me and you said, I'm Joey. And I said, oh, and then you said, from NSYNC. And I thought you were an intern who was just punking me a little bit. And I kind of turned around and I said, well, I don't know if you remember. I said, you may be in sync today, but your career is going down the drain tomorrow. And I walked away. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I did remember that. I don't. I went back to the newsroom and and my news director said, uh, we sat down and he says, what did Joey say? I said, you, you, you know our intern? And he said, intern? He says, no, that's in sync." And I said, oh my God. And I had to do my newscast. And when I got done, I got up to apologize and you guys had already bolted. <laughs> oh, I see. I wish I would have remembered because I would have busted your chops. But no, I don't remember that. And, and, and you were correct. It went down miserably. <laughs> you got as far as you it got. sunk. I haven't worked again. I work at Chuck E. Cheese now. Times are tough. Times are tough. So while you're at home, do you live in that lifestyle of no music, uh, no, no content in front of you? Because how do you remain you when everything about you has always been on display? Um, you find you find the the, the right combination i think and for me and i I know people somebody is always like oh so you know justin's so popular he's been this he's he's like the new you know kind of king of pop thing and this and that and i'm like i'm happy for him and they're like what do you mean you don't want to be there i'm like me personally no because of where i am in my life as a person as a parent as a celebrity i get recognized but i don't get it to the nth degree where someone's up my butt 24 7 they're not paparazzi standing out of my house. I don't live in California. That's the other thing. I used to, like three years. I don't even live in California anymore. So I don't get that anymore. And I'm able to roam around and be freely as much as I can. Yes, do people recognize me, but not to the mass hysteria that it used to back in the day with NSYNC. And I think for me, that is the best combination. I love it. I remember one time Justin came to the to Kentucky Derby and I go every year. He went one year where he got bombarded by people. And I was like, dude, I'm like, bro, I feel bad for you. I said, I honestly do. Because you can't even enjoy yourself and hang out. And I can't even stand next to you and have a conversation. And I remember how it was back in the day for us, though. It was the same way. But I'm glad I'm not in that position anymore because I want to be able to do, I want to be able to wipe my own butt without knowing <laughs> people knowing that I'm doing it. That's it. If I pick my nose, I want to flick the booger and not have somebody take a picture of it. See, you need your own late night show is what you need to. You need to go from common knowledge <laughs> to your own late night show. Well, I mean, you, because you've got that kind of an attitude about you, and that's that's what's so fun about you. Yeah, because, I mean, again, we, we, even though people think that I'm on this pedestal of this celebrity, I got the same crap like everybody else. Yes, is it certain maybe a little bit heightened or maybe a little bit different? I might live a different lifestyle, which I don't even try to do anyway. 
back in the day, I had this monstrosity house that I was like, why the hell do I have this? But I don't even go in half the rooms. What is the reason I'm doing this? I'm like, and again, as you get older, you start to realize that is not more, that is not important. I need, I need a four bedroom house, something that's maybe 3000 square feet, maybe could even be smaller because I just need a roof over my kids' heads. What I want to do is go rent the mansion out somewhere in another country so I can enjoy myself on a vacation, not own that son of a gun. I don't want to own it because I don't want the bills because I know what it's like to have those bills. It sucks. <laughs> so I want to just kind of coast, have fun, enjoy my life and be able to pick up and go wherever the hell I want to go. I love it, man. Please come back to the show anytime in the future, Joey. The door is always going to be open it. for you. All right, man. You be brilliant today, okay? It. You bet. No worries, man. And next time, you know, seriously, don't be saying things about your intern. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right you know? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> we are unplugged and totally uncut with John Hanna. I'm good, Aro. I'm good, actually. Yeah, although, like, Michael, I was out in the garden yesterday, and I picked up a bag of something, you know, and uh, tweaked my back the way you do when you get to a certain age. So uh, if you hear a sudden, like, yelp, it's just that little kind of tweak of muscular pain. But other than that, I'm good. You know, it's 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 moments like that that I sit there and I wonder, okay, what what is Mother Earth really up to? I mean, it's not that we're invading because we're we're taking the fruit from the earth, but why? It seems like more people always get injured in the garden. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it's like as you get older, you don't warm up. For, I mean, I was moving a full bag of, you know, like compost. I should I should have warmed up. I had my coffee. I put it down. I thought I'd move it. I thought I was younger, stronger, fitter than I really am. And then, yeah, sometimes you've just got to get. A, Mother Nature just reminds you to take it easy a little bit. What what what's so funny about about that story is the fact that you know, because of these COVID days, I took an essential I took on an essential job, and that is I work at a grocery store of all places. But there, there are training videos on how to lift things and how not to turn at a grocery store. And it's like you got to be kidding me! I never took this stuff seriously. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, all those injuries that can happen just lifting up a <laughs> big bag of toilet paper. <laughs> Well, you I got to tell you what. I I congratulate you on this TV show Transplant on NBC. This this there is something about this show that is telling me legendary. Do you feel it on your side of the lens? So, well, certainly when we were doing, certainly when I first read the show and when we were filming it, I felt like it was a it was a very pertinent, it was a great story to be telling. I, I wasn't seeing anyone else telling that kind of story. Um, especially not in a mainstream media way, you know. So to be to be wrapped in something that we all find so familiar, I, I almost felt, you know, there was a good possibility that it might uh, connect with people. But you just ne- you never know. I mean, that's that's why everything that you can imagine can at some point get made. But yeah, I'm really pleased that uh, it's been a it's been a success in, in, in Canada and it's finding some traction in the in the US and people are watching it and enjoying you know, a, a refugee story in a mainstream format. It's great. Because I'll tell you, it's so relatable in the way that if you if you go into a doctor's office versus even even the hospital, there is so much different culture taking place. And I've often wondered, how is everybody working together? So when I watch Transplant, it's teaching me as a regular person that there still is there, there has to be teamwork. There has to be connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also people have to be up to the job and that that I think that's always been a case of like regardless of where you come from if you have the qualifications you can do it and obviously uh, I think a lot of countries are very you know keen on on having or, or require well-trained staff at every level and the next couple of episodes that you see where uh, my character Jed gets a little bit heavy on mags is is partly making sure 
she's up to being on that front line of, of saving lives. And I think we're, we're all very conscious at, at this time of of what those what those uh, guys and uh, the girls and you know and what everybody is facing in that environment a little bit at the moment. See, and I, I love the character, Dr. Jed, in the way that, to me, that's leadership. That's that's taking on a, a role in, inside, I mean, because a hospital is a business, and you and it's got to be run like a business, and you've got to have that kind of leadership. Now, you playing Dr. Jed, have you learned anything through those scripts that you've activated in your own personal life? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I think he is, he's, he's tough with a soft heart. I'm just soft all over, you know, so... Um, no, I, I don't have that kind of, thankfully, I don't have that kind of responsibility. I think, you know, like a lot of people talk about actors and show business with the egos that are involved. Um, if I've seen anything in my connection to consultants and doctors and, you know, where they are in the pecking order, is the, the ego is alive and well in the medical profession. Boy, that that's true because I've, I've I know a lot of nurses, and boy, I'll tell you what they talk about those doctors with their egos and things like that. And I mean, will, will you guys touch on such a subject? Because I mean, there are a lot of nurses that probably watch Transplant on NBC, going, "That's the way it is." And okay, how are they going to work through this storm? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, we've got nurses working with us uh, and uh, consultants, doctors consulting on the show, but in the in the crash rooms. Was, apart from the, the main actors and actresses, the, the nurses there are uh, real nurses who, you know, when they're not working with us, are doing shifts at the, at the local hospital. That's what that's their day job is saving lives, and then their, their part time job is, is making us look good. So yeah, I mean, if there's anything there that comes across as a little phony or flaky, there's, there's various filter levels at which that's been caught. One of the one of the new episodes you guys deal with infection, and it was because the doctor was very much aware of of everything about that patient, and and it really opened up my eyes in the way that you know it, it made me feel comfortable knowing that doctors look beyond reasons why you might be sitting there in that office. Yeah, indeed, um, I I um, had a, a diagnosis made on me by my ophthalmic optician. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what you call them in the states. Is that an optometrist or Oh, yes, an optometrist. Uh, so, and we call them ophthalmic opticians. And uh, I was going for my prescription read, reading for every couple of years, and and she noticed something with my eyes, which was about a totally unrelated uh, condition, which I was managed. I managed to get sorted very quickly. So, I, 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 we just we don't we don't realise how much. It's not only the period of time that they go through their education in order to become a nurse or a doctor. But it's the continued uh, update of, of new new procedures, which is what where Bash has to deal with having already trained as a doctor. He has to train as a doctor for uh, Canada, which has different protocols, different presumably medicines, different possibilities. But at the same time, he brings his uh, battlefield experience very much to what a lot of people who work in emergency medicine would would term a battle. Well, I've always wondered how you guys deal with the big words because because I'm a voiceover actor. I do a lot of medical reads and th- things like that. I have to sit with a voice coach to tell me how I'm supposed to say a word and, and how to make sure that I pronounce it properly. Do you have to go through the same thing? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. There's a, 
as I say, we have uh, no no shortage of professionals on stage with us. The, the doctors are, are much more helpful in terms of pronunciation. But but it's quite interesting because um, I was talking to my sister about this, who's also a head nurse, and she says that different doctors will pronounce it any way they like. If they want to pronounce it this way, they'll pronounce it that way. Why? Because they're a doctor. So on the one hand, yeah, you have a, a huge responsibility to say it as if you know what you're talking about. But at the same time, it may well be that you want to chew it up and spit it out sideways just because that's what your character would do. <laughs> now, with with your connections to Marvel, wouldn't you say that the, the TV show Transplant on NBC is also dealing with, with superheroes? Because the doctors on that show are going above and beyond as well. Yeah, I mean, again, I think with everything that's been going on in the world this year, uh, medically speaking, and we've all become very conscious of what what the medical professionals, uh, care workers, essential workers are, are, but especially the medical professionals are going through and dealing with and and having to deal with, as I say, in a, in a battle sense, you know, people die in hospitals as well and they have to go home and kiss their kids and, and speak to their partner and get up the next day and come and do it again. And I think, you know, it's put... Certainly, it's put actors to shame, not to shame, but it certainly made us aware that while we may be front and center of whether it's Marvel or whether it's the hospital drama, you know, there's real heroes at the moment who are who are doing really heroic work and saving lives, you know. And we are, and I, I believe a lot of, including the the set, I'm sure it's been the same all over the world. I know I've read stories about it here in the UK also, where. Uh, hospital sets, which are meant for ongoing drama, have donated uh, equipment that they have to the to the profession. You know, they have PPE equipment that they've donated and various machines and things. So yeah, we're we're very conscious of of who's who's anchoring us at the moment, who's keeping us going. Mike was talking about how you're on Zoom right now. I, I'm amazed at how, you know, the medical world has changed during this pandemic where doctors are are seeing their patients on things like Zoom. What is that like for you then? Do you take that into a character, in, into Dr. Jed in Transplant on NBC? Well, it'll be interesting, actually. We were talking about this recently in a production meeting where our storyline is actually picking up almost immediately after where we finish on the first season. So consequently, we're actually still in a pre-lockdown world. So we won't necessarily be dealing with that too much. I myself, however, had to uh, speak to my doctor and uh, over this period and do it online, do it on a Zoom call. And again, I was talking to my sister about it, who was saying that that's how they used to do it in the old days, you know, before you had a, a right to go in and see your GP, certainly in, in the UK. I know it's, it works differently in the US. Um, but certainly here, everyone took it for granted that you could go in and see your GP And again, maybe that's giving people pause for uh, figuring out if they're really ill. But at the same time, you know, people can't be people are scared to go into hospitals sometimes for treatment for other conditions, and obviously that's not good either. So. I was just hearing on the news today that there's a vaccine which they're feeling very positive about, and uh, this has come ahead of schedule. So it felt like there was a lot of chat on the radio about things feeling more optimistic for the for the future. That was that was Pfizer that made that announcement today, which generates a lot of positive energy. Now, with with you being Doctor Jed, how many people in the everyday world see you on the street going, Doctor, I, I've got an issue. Can can you please help me? They, because you play it so well, like you are a real doctor. <laughs> um, 
No, I, I don't really get that here. It hasn't aired here yet, so I'm still kind of under the radar for that one. But I have played the Doctor a couple of times in the past, and uh, when my children were being born uh, and they went in for a cesarean, uh, and I, I was allowed into the to the operating theatre, um, I was given scrubs, and nurse asked me, you know, jokingly, how I looked in scrubs, which... I said I looked rather dashing. I thought myself. <laughs> you you were talking about how how transplant actually started on Canadian television. I grew up in Montana, and we that's all we watched was Canadian television. They take chances up there, don't they? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I, I always I always said it's it's no surprise that it was a Canadian network that has kind of gone with with something which has always been seen seen as a bit left field by having a, a refugee story, but doing it in a mainstream environment. You know, we're not doing it in the UK. I uh, haven't really seen it in the US. I mean, I imagine there are, like, films, or, you know, uh, indie films that are that are dealing with, you know, trying to tell those stories. But, but to have somebody, to have a refugee and, you know, be the front and centre of the story and the hero in the story, I think is a great thing, especially after the the last few years of the negativity around immigration. I mean, both our countries wouldn't be where they are without, without immigration. So, you know, I think we have to get back to having a sensible, calm discussion about what we do about it and how we deal with it. You know, you, you talk about the you know, that it is a refugee story and stuff like that, but each time that I have watched Transplant, the one thing that I've always felt is that, you know, in, in these trying times here in America, there are 20 million people that are unemployed, and the jobs that they're getting are things they've never done before. There's a lot of us, dude, that feel like we are transplants because we're in jobs and positions we, we know nothing about, but we have to learn to work together. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems very much like, you know, the world is not somewhere that's going to be standing still for very long, the way that technology has impacted on so many things. Uh, and we are going to have to become more adaptable. We are going to have to cast our net wider, like you were saying, you know, you do uh, voiceover work as well. And, you know, I think that, I don't think there's many people can survive, for instance, as, a, as only an actor. I mean, we all know about Brad Pitt and, you know, the and same with sports players, but there's a there's a whole substructure below that where it's very, very difficult to to make a living in the in the arts. Uh, and especially at the moment, you know, for young actors coming out, for young musicians starting off in their career, or even for, for those who, have, who may have chosen to have a more theatrical-based career, these, these are very, very challenging times. Uh, and not least of which in the challenges is financial, you know, I mean, we tend to think of actors, or, or, you know, or artists as, you know, living on daffodils, just writing songs and, and quoting Shakespeare. But, you know, we all have to pay the rent and put food on the table. And that's a, that's a real thing at the moment for people. How has it changed you as an actor in the way that the set is different? I mean, even when I go to a movie premiere, I have to sign a waiver now. And, and it's, I mean, what they're doing to protect themselves is, is also protecting us as well. Is it, is it that much different on the sets for you today? Um, I, I think there'll be very heavy protocols on the safety, uh, but things are changing all the time. You know, with the with, with other things that have happened, you know, life is constantly changing. Whether it's simply because of economics, and therefore, you know, as someone who's been in the business for thirty odd years, I've noticed how it's changed. Things have become faster. There's been less cooperation, less cooperation around the creative direction you're going in. You know, that again happens at a kind of at the top level where people are on the show or the film prior to it actually going and they're having those discussions. We had, 
Well, you, you know, we, we talk to the writers and things, although next time they won't actually be in the building. Uh, in fact, they won't actually be in the city. They'll be based in Montreal. So, but, but those conversations are very easy to have. Everybody's got a phone you can pick up and have that conversation. So we'll just have to, we'll just have to figure it out. You know, look at how, look at, you sometimes wonder how they managed to make films before they had mobile phones, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because that's that old story that, that people don't. The real story in Hollywood is we don't know how these movies even get to you know to hit the screen because it takes so much of a working environment to make it all come together as one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's quite a miracle. It's a it's a it's a great it's a great positive uh, metaphor for for humanity working together. You know, and funnily enough, wherever I've gone in the world and work, you know, been fortunate to travel the world and work in different countries, and the people who. The people who hold the mic and the people who do the makeup and the people that push the dolly, they all kind of look sort of the same, you know. They've all got a kind of very similar vibe. And uh, wherever you go, you, you can feel very much uh, at home in a family that you recognize. The show we're talking about is Transplant on NBC. What is it about medical shows that really attracts the, uh, the faithful followers? I mean, these guys are faithful. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think when you're dealing with life and death all the time in, in a very real way and, you know, you put that pressure on the characters that are dealing with it. I mean, we love cop shows. They deal with life and death also. But I think, you know, with a medical drama, you're there in the room constantly and then you're walking out of the room and you're, you're, you're meeting the people. And we, we see a kind of... Uh, we see the we see the contradictions within the characters also, which is very difficult in dramas to show someone being heroic one minute and being um, very fallible the next minute. And I think being a doctor allows us to do that. Doctors, nurses, and the medical profession generally allows us to have those insights into characters that we might not necessarily accept in other genres. And you know, we all like to we all like to watch something. Uh, when there is a heightened element of drama there and it doesn't get any more heightened in life or day. Well, congratulations on Transplant on NBC. you got to come back to the show anytime in the future, John. The door is always going to be open for you. I hope so, yeah. I had a great time doing it. So, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, We'll see where this goes. You bet. You'd be brilliant today, okay, sir? Thanks, Otto. Yeah, it's been great talking to you.